Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ladies and gentlemen, today's conference is scheduled to begin shortly. Please continue to stand by. Thank you for your patience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodhi, and I am your host. And we are here today to talk about Tesla's Q1 or Q4 2019 earnings call that happened on Wednesday. I'm very excited, and we will jump right into it. But first, we're going to talk about something that I like. And what I like this week is promoting things that people in our community are working on. I had a nice little exchange with Nick on Twitter, and we were talking about some different things. And I noticed he had a website, and I said, Hey, that looks like a really cool website. It's funny. And he said, well, it's actually me and about 22 other people that work on this site. So the website is like a mashup of the Earl of Frunk Puppy, his Twitter site, which I don't think he has anything to do with the site, and Electric, but they definitely don't have anything to do with the site. So they combine those together, and it's called Earlectric, like electric, but Earlectric, which is E-A-R-L-E-C-T-R-E-K.com. And I'll put the link to their website in the show notes under the friends of the show uh, area. The website started off as satire, but Nick tells me that they are transitioning into real news, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, Although some of their satire articles are pretty clever. So I thought that was pretty neat. I'm going to skip the Patreon plug today. Just go to patreon.com forward slash kilowatt or support kilowatt.com to take a peek at what we're doing over there. And if you want to support us, you can do that as well. So if you're new to the show, what I do is I take the earnings call, I cut it up into clips that I think are interesting. Basically, I listen to all the boring parts of the earnings call so you don't have to. And we're going to start today with Elon's opening remarks. So let's listen to that clip now. The Q4 was another strong quarter for the company. Uh, Deliveries reached uh, over 112,000 vehicles in a single quarter. It's hard to think of a similar product with such strong demand that it can generate more than $20 billion in revenue with zero advertising spend. I think that's, I think we, we do say that from time to time, and I think it's, it's often um, overlooked, but to have uh, the highest demand electric vehicle in the world with no advertising spend is, I think, quite remarkable and speaks to the, the, the nature of the product and the fact that it, the product itself is compelling enough to generate that demand without uh, without a bunch of advertising. At our Fremont factory, we were producing at a rate roughly the same as uh, the Numi factory did in its record year of 2006. And uh, obviously we expect to to exceed that 
significantly this year. Uh, this rate of production was achieved before we even started to produce the Model Y out of Fremont. So there's a lot of potential uh, to go beyond that number. For the Shanghai factory, I'd like to say congratulations again to the team in Shanghai on launching Model 3 last quarter and uh, achieving the first deliveries earlier this year. Um, I'm really excited and optimistic about the potential for the, the Shanghai factory. I think it's, it's going to be an incredible asset uh, to, to the company. Um, and we, we also uh, broke ground on the uh, Model Y uh, factory in, in Shanghai. So there's a lot of good progress there. Um, regarding Model Y, uh, it was only 10 months ago that we revealed a Model Y prototype. And now in January this year, we started producing Model Y in limited volumes already. Uh, this is thanks to a great effort of our engineering team and we managed to achieve by far the highest energy efficiency of any electric SUV ever produced at 4.1 miles per kilowatt hour, um, <clears throat> which means Model Y all-wheel drive got an EPA rating of 315 miles. And this improvement is reflected on the configurator as of today. <coughs> this, is, this is above um, what we previously stated by a pretty significant margin. Um, and, and just the, with great acceleration, top speed, it's really just incredible specs all around. Uh, for the Cybertruck, uh, a few months ago we revealed the obviously we revealed the Cybertruck um, that was that went viral, um, and we we tried to build a product that a product that is superior in every way without any preconceptions of how such a product should look. So it, it really just from the standpoint of what's the most badass futuristic armored personnel carrier that you know kicks the ass of any pickup truck. Basically, that's the that was the goal. Um, and uh, the, the you know we wanted it to look like something that just came out of a sci-fi movie set from the future, and uh, the demand has been incredible. I mean, we've never seen actually such a level a level demand at this. We've never seen anything like it, basically. Um, I think we will make as about as many as we can sell for many years. Um, so as many, you know, we'll sell as many as we can make. It's going to be pretty nuts. Um, so, um, and I think actually the, the the product is better than people realize. Even they they don't even have enough information to realize just the awesomeness of it. It's just great. So, um, and then um, stepping back in 2018, uh, from a financial standpoint, uh, we were. Free cash flow rate was uh, break even, um, but in 2019 we managed to generate more than a billion dollars free cash flow while building a factory in Shanghai in record time and while building parts of Model Y in production. So I think to, for us to have this level of free cash flow while making massive investments in capacity, while developing new products, while improving the core engineering, is a testament to the. Uh, I think incredible performance of the Tesla team, and I'm just so proud to work with such a great team. I'd like to thank the whole Tesla team for their ongoing work on, on uh, cost control, and is what, is, what is, has, has allowed us to get to uh, these compelling financial numbers while at the same time growing the company at an incredible pace. And in conclusion, when I think of what we have in front of us the next couple of years, we've got Model Y, we've got Giga Berlin, uh, Tesla Semi, Solar Glass Roof, Cybertruck, um, some very exciting improvements in back battery technology, uh, full self-driving, um, 
got the Next Gen Roadster, and probably you know, a bunch of other products we'll, we'll come up with too. Uh, it's hard to think of another company that has more exciting product and technology roadmap. So, super fired up about where Tesla will be, you know, in the next uh, you know, 10 years. Um, it's, you know, if, if you look back 10 years from today to 2010, um, we will produce approximately a thousand times more cars in 2020 than we produced in 2010. A thousand. Um, and we have also solar glass and, and solar retrofit and uh, power wall, power pack, you know, all those other things too. So where will we be in 10 years? Very exciting to consider the prospect. So this seemed like a, first of all, it's a very, you know, professional sounding opening remarks from Elon, but it also seems like he practiced it because there's not as many ums and ahs as he normally puts in there and stammers. But and not that I'm the one to judge because I have the same problem. In our next clip, we're going to listen to Zach Kirkhorn, who is the CFO of Tesla. We're going to listen to his opening remarks. Normally, I don't deal with the financial stuff on this podcast, mostly because I simply just do not understand business finance. I don't understand it in any way, shape, or form. So I'm not really good at adding commentary on that because if I did add commentary, I'd sound more of an idiot than I do now. But I know and realize that there are people who invest in Tesla that listen to this show, and that's some of that financial information is important to them. So I kind of pepper the episode with what I think is relevant and not what I think is a bunch of like into institutional investor and high fi- business finance speak. Because there's a lot of that that you're just like, that you throw out all these words and you're like, I don't know what any of those mean. So I try to keep it informational yet simple. So let's listen to Zach's opening remarks. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Um, This past year was truly transformational for Tesla, and I want to thank everyone who's been a part of making this happen. On 2019, a few key points I'd like to highlight. On demand, while we've mentioned this a few times, it's worth highlighting once again. Over the course of the year, we've transitioned entirely from generating Model 3 orders from a reservation backlog to generating new and organic demand. We've also seen a stabilization of Model 3 ASPs, even increasing slightly in Q4. And we've seen an increase in ASPs of SNX after the launch of the longer-range versions in Q2. With respect to capacity expansion, we've greatly learned from the development and launch of Model 3 in Fremont and Reno. As a result, we've been able to bring new production capacity on board faster and with less cost. This is evidenced by the launch of Model 3 in Shanghai, as well as Model Y in Fremont, programs that were both launched in under one year. Financially, we have demonstrated multiple quarters of strong cash generation, enabled through higher volumes, improvements to capital efficiency, progress on working capital management, and continued improvement in our product and operational costs. And we are able to achieve positive gap net income in both Q3 and Q4, for many of the same reasons that enabled strong cash generation. We've also made progress on recurring and software-based revenue with the implementation of premium connectivity and the beginning of upgrades available for purchase via the Tesla mobile app. Finally, on stock-based compensation, it increased sequentially by 82 million, driven almost entirely by an expense related to the next tranche of the CEO grant. This is a result of our improved expected financial performance of the company, which the CEO stock grant is tied to. 
As we look ahead to 2020, this again will be an important year for the company. Our task ahead is to execute on the, the next phase of growth while managing cash flows to support that growth. On Model Y, we expect first deliveries and limited quantities later this quarter and will ramp over subsequent quarters. As mentioned previously, we are forecasting higher gross margins on Model Y compared to the Model 3. This year, for the Shanghai-built Model 3, we expect to achieve run rate production and delivery rates. In addition, we expect to have completed the majority of planned supply chain localization at the factory or in the region. This is one of the most important components to achieve lower production costs for the site. We are also seeing strong order rates for the locally built Model 3 and remain focused on continuing the production ramp and managing costs. We also anticipate significant progress on factory construction of the Shanghai and Berlin built Model Y, which will result in continued increases in capital spending. On operating expenses, I expect an increase over the course of the year to support our growing product pipeline and international footprint. However, OPEX growth should increase at a lower rate than top-line revenue. Overall, we believe this will set us up for our strongest annual financial performance yet, with sufficient forecasted cash flows to support investments related to our growth and further strengthening of our balance sheet. For Q1, please keep in mind that the industry is always impacted by seasonality. Additionally, we are in the process of ramping two major products, Model 3 in Shanghai and Model Y in Fremont, which I expect will temporarily weigh on our margins. We are also in the early stages of understanding if and to what extent we may be temporarily impacted by the coronavirus. At this point, we're expecting a one to one and a half week delay in the ramp of Shanghai built Model 3 due to a government required factory shutdown. This may slightly impact profitability for the quarter, but is limited as the profit contribution from Model 3 Shanghai remains in the early stages. We are also closely monitoring whether there will be interruptions in the supply chain for cars built in Fremont. So far, we're not aware of anything material, but it's important to caveat that this is an evolving story. However, we have more than sufficient cash to continue our ex expansion plans while further strengthening the balance sheet. Thank you again for your support, and we will turn to questions. So it looks like in the near term, or it sounds like in the near term, everything's coming up millhouse for Tesla, which is great because, you know, everybody who listens to this show, I would assume, is somewhat of a fan of electric vehicles and on some level a fan of Tesla as well. Um, don't really have much more to say on it. Uh, we're going to start into the retail investor questions. The first question is about solar roof and demand. So let's listen to that here. Uh, since solar is required for all new home constructions in California, do you have any substantial orders for solar glass roofs from any of the large California home builders that you can share? What's the 2020 target for the number of solar glass roof installations in California? Well, I think we, we, do, we are seeing um, for, for, from, a, from a small base exponential uh, Growth in demand and uh, output for solar for the solar glass roof. Um, so it's difficult to predict what the number will be this year, except that the demand is very strong, um, and we are we are working also not just through through Tesla installers, but also through new home builders and through um, just uh, the roofing industry in general. Uh, where there's you know in North America on the order of four million uh, new uh, roofs per year. So we see. Uh, a lot of interest, um, and um, so it's it's just a question of uh, refining the uh, the installation process, uh, getting um, lots of crews trained to do the installation, 
but uh, over time I would expect a significant percentage of of new roofs to beat um, something to, to use solar glass in one form or another. Uh, it's really going to be a choice of do you want a roof that is uh, alive with power or, or dead without. And I think people will want a live roof uh, that, that generates power uh, and looks good and lasts a long time and it's, uh, it's the future we want. So it will be a significant product, but because it is a new and quite revolutionary product and it, it, there's a lot of you know, challenges to overcome, um, but they will be overcome and this will be a, a major product line of, of Tesla. And the, the Buffalo factory is doing great. What it sounds like, at least to me anyway, that Elon is saying here is that, you know, solar roof had a very small base to which to grow. And it's grown significantly, but that doesn't mean that it's significant growth. Does that make sense? Like if you have two pencils and you get six pencils, yeah, you gained in pencils, but you really don't have that many pencils. Can you tell I have seven-year-olds at home that have school problems like this? Anyway, uh, what it sounds like to me is that Tesla solar roof still needs to have, there needs to be some infrastructure. They still need to have installers and it doesn't sound like demand is a problem. And it maybe doesn't sound like manufacturing is a problem. It's more of the, we need to have people who can put these on the roof because Tesla doesn't have enough employees. So they need to go to roofers. They need to go to, you know, builders. And then also they need to go to other solar installers and get them trained so that they can, you know, it'll grow, I think, anyway, it'll grow significantly after that. But as for, as it is right now, until they get those things up and running in terms of installers, I don't see how they can really, how this product's really going to take off. The demand might stay strong, but I don't see how it's going to take off anywhere. All right, our next clip, Elon's going to talk about the Tesla ride-sharing service. Will you release the Tesla ride-hailing network app before full autonomy and uh, change the terms of Tesla insurance to allow owners to be drivers on the network? If so, when will this happen? Might, this want, to tar uh, might want to target California Air Force first. Also a good place to add superchargers. Sorry, it sounds like one question in one. Yeah, it's, okay. it's a bit of a bundle, yeah. Um, well, I think that it's, it probably will make sense to have the, to enable car sharing in advance of the kind of sort of giant robo-taxi fleet um, because the car sharing can be done before uh, full self-driving is approved by regulators. Um, so it's, it's probably something that we would enable before uh, the, the full sort of robo-taxi fleet is enabled. Um, and um, so it sounds like there were some other questions bundled in there. Uh, Superchargers yeah. at airports? Oh, sure. Um, yeah. yeah, probably we'll have superchargers at airports. We'll have superchargers wherever we see that there is a need for superchargers. And then on the insurance part of the question, it is our intent to allow people to put their cars into ride-sharing or the FSD network using Tesla insurance. Yeah. That's not currently the case. But by the time that this is available, it's our intent to get that ready. As a Cybertruck reservation holder, I am very excited about the Tesla ride-sharing service because this vehicle is quite expensive and I need money to be able to pay for that loan. In our next clip, Elon is going to talk about Tesla insurance. Let's listen to that. 
How many California owners are currently insured with Tesla insurance? What's the target for Tesla insurance in 2020? When will you start significant, uh, to significantly leverage the data you have from the fleet to lower the cost of your coverage? Uh, will we get premium discount of certain percent? Yeah, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, um, so Tesla insurance is currently available in California. Uh, a couple of things that we're working on on this front. Uh, the first is to expand it to other locations, and uh, we're preparing the regulatory processes, pre pre preparing our processes to go through the regulatory processes in those locations. Uh, we're also working on um, the processes to continue to adjust our rates in California, which also have to go through regulatory processes as insurance is quite heavily regulated. And, and that's where we're spending our time focusing on Tesla insurance right now. There's a significant amount of innovation, as we've discussed before, in this space, exactly getting to the intent of what the question here is, uh, using our technology to reduce rates, and this will be rolled in over time. It was the last part of the question was, will there be a discount for using autopilot with our cars? Oh, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, there will be. Yeah, the, the rate card for California Tesla insurance already considers the safety features associated with autopilot. Right, but I think I think it would make sense for us to um, close the loop on, you know, higher use of autopilot fully reduces the um, insurance cost. Um, it lowers the probability of, of injury. So uh, I think insurance is, is going to be, I think, quite a major product of Tesla over time. Um, the amount of money that people spend on car insurance is, is like a remarkably big percentage of the cost of a, a car. Um, like you, you can lease a Model 3 uh, right now for $400 a month, um, but a typical uh, uh, owner in California will be paying you know, uh, it's somewhere between 100 and $200 a month in insurance. So we're talking about something which is maybe a quarter to half of the cost of the lease of the car is insurance. Um, and um, a lot of that insurance cost is just because comp the insurance companies don't have good information about the drivers. Um, and that, that there's no good way to provide feedback where, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a very poor feedback mechanism uh, in terms of the insurance rates versus of the actual uh, way that the car is being driven, whereas we can do that in real time. It's a fundamental information advantage that insurance companies don't have. Well, I think this is a good answer, a good measured answer from the CEO of a company. It really didn't give us a whole lot of information. Separate from that, what I think Tesla needs to do with Tesla insurance is they need to allow people to insure a vehicle that is not Tesla. Now, I get it. It's an insurance company for Tesla, but not everybody owns two Teslas. So they need to allow people, and it can be in limited numbers, like if you have one Tesla and seven other cars, maybe that's not the best way to handle this. But if you have one Tesla and one other vehicle, they need to be. you need to allow people to register or excuse me insure their other vehicle for instance if i get a tesla we still have a chrysler minivan i'm not going to pay two insurance premiums i'm not looking for more ways to complicate my life now having said that i realize that the chrysler minivan i might be paying slightly a uh, slightly higher rate for the minivan because it doesn't have all the safety features and all the data that tesla has on their vehicles 
I don't think I'm alone on this. Why? How many people out there want to pay two different insurance companies for vehicles? I don't. It doesn't make a lot of sense from a consumer standpoint. But if Tesla can remove that barrier, then I think they're going to get a lot more customers. Now, I don't know that Tesla wants a lot more customers. They want. To, they might want to keep it at least in the near term small. They might want to keep it a small insurance company until they can kind of figure out how everything's working, why add complication on their side until they're ready for it. But eventually, I think Tesla is going to have to offer to insure at least one, maybe two other vehicles that don't belong, uh, that, that weren't built by Tesla. Our next clip is about full self-driving and whether or not it's feature complete or close to being feature complete, and even what does feature complete mean? The next question is, you set expectations that you would be feature complete on FSD by the end of 2019. Can you please provide an update on when will we see this with end users? Uh, uh, where are you in retrofitting the FSD computer to older models? Well, I mean, to be precise, I, I said I was hoping it would be feature complete with both FSD by the end of last year. Um, we, we got pretty close. Um, you know, it's looking like we might be feature complete um, in a few months. Um, but feature complete just means like it has some chance of uh, of going from your home to work, let's say, with with that, with no interventions. Um, so that's it. Doesn't mean the features are working well, um, but it means it has some, a, a, you know, a, a above zero chance. Um, so I think that's looking like maybe it's going to be a couple months from now. Um, and uh, the, the, what, what isn't obvious regarding uh, autopilot and full self-driving is just how much uh, work has been going into improving the, the foundational elements of autonomy. Uh, the, the, the core autopilot and Tesla autopilot software and, and AI team is just is like very, very strong and making great progress. Um, and um, we're we're really only beginning to take full advantage of the autopilot hardware, the FSD hardware. Um, so I, I think it's it, the, 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 the apparent progress as seen by uh, consumers will seem to be extremely rapid, but, um, but actually the, um, what, what's really going on behind it seems like I said is just is having the foundational uh, software be very strong, having a really strong foundation um, and then a really fundamental thing is moving to video training. Uh, so in terms of labeling, uh, labeling uh, with uh, video um, and all, all eight cameras simultaneously. Uh, uh, this is a really, I mean, in terms of labeling efficiency, arguably like a three order of magnitude improvement in labeling efficiency. Uh, for those who know about this, it's extremely fundamental. Okay, so call me silly, but when I hear feature complete, that means that it works. It doesn't have to work well enough to pass regulatory approval because I understand that there is bureaucracy and some governments may approve it and some governments might not approve it. I understand that all of that stuff happens. Like, I get it. But in terms of feature complete as a customer, especially as a customer who paid $7,000 for something, Feature complete means that it actually works. Maybe it has a hiccup every now and again, but it works way more often than it doesn't. Like it, it should work 99% of the time. That should be feature complete. 
because the features are, if they're not working at least, let's say, 95% of the time, the feature has not been completed because you haven't figured out why it isn't working. Let's say it works 80% of the time. You haven't figured out how, why it isn't working the other 20% of the time. Like that's not feature complete to me, especially when you're paying $7,000. And if Elon is correct, more in the future for a, in this case, for a service, but for any product for that matter. Our next question is actually kind of a funny question. Why not take more questions uh, from retail investors and basically ignore institutional investors on these calls? And I'm going to talk more about that after we listen to the clip. Uh, since most retail investors seem to understand Tesla better than analysts and are uh, uh, risking a larger part of their own personal wealth on Tesla, doesn't it make sense to take mostly questions on these earnings calls uh, from us via say? Uh, do you even have to take an, uh, questions, um, answer questions from analysts? Well, we, I guess we we don't have to. I, I, I do think that a lot of the retail investors actually have uh, deeper and more accurate insights than um, many of the, the, the big institutional investors and, uh, and, and certainly better insights mm -hmm. than many of the analysts. Uh, you know, it's, it, it seems like if people really looked at some of the smart, Retail investor uh, analysts, or, or and uh, you know what what some of the smart smaller retail investors predicted about the future of the of, of Tesla, they would you'd probably get the highest accuracy and a remarkable insight from some of those predictions. So by and large, retail investors are fans of the company, or they believe in what they're doing, or you know they think that. Tesla will be able to make the money over a long term, mostly. And there are shorts and all that other stuff, but we're not going to talk about that. Institutional investors invest in a ton of different companies, a, and they invest a crazy amount of money. And their goal is this, this is a business. This is not an investment. This is my business. This is how I make money. This is how you know I pay for my house payment and things like that. So they're going to be making investment decisions based on what's best for their business, whereas invest and the people that, you know, are investors in their business, whereas retail investors, they, you know, they're not really beholden to anybody, they're going to make their investment decisions based on what's best for them and their family and how much money they have. Um, I'm not going to say institutional investors, all they care about is making money, but that is a very big um, reason why they're investing in companies like Tesla, like growth, they want the growth so that they can make more money and then they can invest in more companies. I will say, by and large, for me, the retail investor questions are way more interesting than the institutional investor questions. And I'm going to play a clip here just to uh, see if you can tell the difference if this is a retail investor or a institutional investor. Uh, the number one question is, uh, you have spoken previously about Shanghai uh, Giga being 65% lower capex of, uh, per unit of capacity. Have you learned to do anything better or different uh -huh. from, from an OPEX perspective? And if yes, uh, what kind of impact might we expect on the long-term growth margin? Did your, did your eyes glaze over? Because my eyes glazed over. And I've heard that clip a couple of different times now. I didn't even include the answer in there because it's just more of the same. So anyway, obviously that was an institutional investor. And now we are going to hear from institutional investors 
Our first institutional question is about Tesla raising money, because right now the stock's really hot, and maybe that's a good idea. Given the recent run in the share price, why not raise capital now and substantially accelerate the growth in production, i.e. build a gigafactories, investment in supercharger, and customer service? Well, we're actually spending money as quickly as we can spend it uh, sensibly. So if there's any sensible way to spend money, we are spending it. There's no artificial uh, holdback on, on expenditures. Um, anything that I see that is uh, looks like a it's, it's got good value for money, the answer is yes immediately. Um, so um, like we're we're spending money I think efficiently and and we're not artificially limiting our pro progress. Um, and then d despite all that, we are still generating positive ca uh, cash. So. Um, you know, in light of that, it, it doesn't make sense to, we, you know, to raise money because we expect to generate cash despite um, the this, this growth level. Zach, is that correct? No, I completely agree with that. Uh, I think some of our learnings um, during the Model 3 launch period where we grew too quickly and with too much complexity, yeah. and it held back our ability to continue to scale. And part of the journey that we've been on in 2019 is to unwind a series of unintentional bad processes that kind of accumulated in the company over time. And so that's kind of what contributes to the reduction in OPEX over the years. We get smarter about that. And, um, and now we've laid a, a good foundation, I think, uh, and I agree with Elon that we're not holding back on the growth. I mean, we have two products, two vehicle products launching right now. And, uh, and that will consume much of the bandwidth of the company to stabilize those over the course of the year. And then looking into next year, we have even more products launching, more right. factories. Yeah. Uh, so we want to be smart about how we spend money and grow in a way that's sustainable so we don't uh, um, uh, fall victim to the mistakes I think we made a year and a half or so ago. Yeah, absolutely. So I think this was a really good answer. It was a pretty decent question, but it was a really good answer. Um, I left it in because I think giving you insight on what Tesla's thinking, it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about Tesla just spending money like crazy and being irresponsible with how they were spending money. And then they had all of the contract workers that were just bloat and just collecting paycheck for contractors, some contractors, I'm sure there are contractors that actually did work, but for some contractors, like Tesla was just like an ATM that just kept spitting money out and you didn't really have to do anything for it. So they got that taken care of. They increased their efficiencies in their line and, you know, basically in their business. And that took a, it takes a while to turn that ship around. It's not like you can, it's not a speedboat, it's a cruise ship. So they, I think Tesla's done a very good job with financially tightening the belt and being more responsible with how they're spending their money. I'm sure there's more improvements that they'll have to make over time, but where Tesla's sitting right now, I'm very optimistic. Our next clip talks about Model S and Model X batteries being upgraded to 2170 cells. The sales of Model S and X have stayed flat for several quarters. The main reason is that they still use 18650 batteries. Uh, when will S and X use 2170 batteries? Manufacturing capacity of 18650 may be used for battery storage systems instead. Sure. Well, actually, the, the, the core chemistry inside the 18650 cell has improved um, many times over the years. 
So it's really just a form factor as opposed to a core technology. Um, so it's, you know, I think we're, we're pretty happy with where the, you know, the, where the energy content of the cell and the, 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 the improvements um, in uh, efficiency of, of the vehicle. Um, the, you know, we're, we're rapidly approaching a 400-mile range for the Model S, for example. Um, so this is, uh, it won't be long before Model S is 400, has a 400-mile range. Um, Drew, is there anything you want to add there? No, other than to say that um, uh, the 18650 lines, you know, have been running smoothly for a really long time, and uh, in a world where cell supply is is, is fueling growth, like or yeah. part of the, 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 the fuel of growth, I don't see a reason to turn that cell supply off. So. Yeah, um, and, and actually, the the, the the model S and X uh, actually have more range than we are currently stating on the website. Um, we just haven't uh, gotten around to updating the, the, I guess, the EPA sort of certified okay. number. Um, but the actual uh, range of the Model S and X are above what the website says there are. Elon's going to talk about this a little bit later, but the efficiencies that Tesla has built into their vehicles is insane. You know, the size of a battery pack is very important, but the efficiencies in the powertrain and the vehicle itself and the aerodynamics and things that Tesla does makes those vehicles, that power pack, more valuable than the battery that may be on a competing vehicle. And Elon, and I'm not going to give it away here, but Elon compares a little bit later on the Taycan and the Model S and their battery packs and the efficiencies. Like right now, Tesla is nailing the efficiencies for getting the most out of every battery pack. And 400 mile range is pretty insane. Now, on the other part of that, I don't think that Tesla will ever use the 2170 batteries for the Model S and Model X. When it comes time to change the battery technology in those cars, I think it's going to be something new, and we'll probably get a glimpse of it on battery day. Our next question is on Starlink and Tesla. So let's play that clip now. Um, hi, everybody. And I actually agree that I think the retail questions were, were excellent, actually. Um, <clears throat> so, Elon, do you see potential for Tesla vehicles to be fitted with user terminals that are compatible with the Starlink constellation in the near or medium-term future? Um, well, it's, um, it's certainly something that could be happen in coming years. If there's no plans to do it this year, uh, the focus mm -hmm. of Starlink is really for um, – High bandwidth, low latency connectivity uh, for you know homes and businesses and you know I guess aircraft and boats and that kind of thing. Uh, but the antenna for that high bandwidth, low latency thing is sort of about the size of meat and pizza, which you could put on a car, but I think uh, is more bandwidth than you would really need. Uh, I mean, technically you could buy one and just stick it on the car. Uh, yeah, it'll it'll work. Phase ray antenna. Maybe just as a follow-up, um, for my follow-up, how would, assuming that we get the antenna form factor and cost down to a point where that, that could be integrated into the roof of a car, for example, you know, cost-effectively and aerodynamically, et cetera, how would compatibility with a Starlink um, uh, architecture theoretically improve the Tesla customer experience or the capability of the network? 
So I think it actually, in most parts of the world, we would just use uh, the, the cellular connectivity, just use 5G, it would be the recommendation, certainly in like any cities or something like that, you know. But if, if you're out in the countryside and there's not good cell connectivity, then then you could uh, connect with a uh, Starlink antenna. And you wouldn't need, you know, you don't need to like have like gigabit level or level connectivity. You could probably like, you know, 20, 30 megabits is probably fine. Um, and then you could have a much smaller antenna. So uh, yeah, I guess it could be good for you know, making sure there's connectivity and outside of major cities and that kind of thing. But I mean, that's a yeah, sort of I'd say relatively obtuse. Uh, it's, it's not you know I'm not thinking about it very much to be honest. This question gets brought up every so often, and Elon has been really consistent that it's not something that Tesla's considering at the moment, as Starlink's you know, technology improves that maybe that'll be something that they'll put in their cars, but I don't see it any time in the near future. I think cellular for the most part works pretty decent. So our next question is about Cybertruck. Let's take a listen. Good afternoon and congratulations on the progress. Uh, first question related to Cybertruck. You mentioned you'll sell as many as you can make can you remind me how many you think you can make and any thoughts on the cost of production um, for making those Cybertrucks? <clears throat> I, I, yeah, I think we, we don't comment on, the, on those detailed numbers except uh, the demand is just far more than we could reasonably make in the space of, you know, I don't know, three or four years or something like that. So um, the, the, the thing we're going to be really focused on is uh, increasing uh, battery uh, production capacity because the, the, that's very fundamental because you know, if you don't improve battery production capacity then you end up just shifting uh, unit volume from one product to another and you haven't actually produced more electric vehicles so um, you know that's that's part of the reason why we uh, have not for example really accelerated uh, production of the Tesla semi because it does use a lot of cells and and unless we've got a a uh, lot of battery cells available, then, then say like um, accelerating production of the Tesla Semi would, would then necessarily mean making fewer Model 3 or Model Y cars. Um, so we, we've got to really make sure we, we, we get uh, a very steep ramp in bat battery production um, and continue to improve the cost per kilowatt hour of the batteries. This is, this is very fundamental um, and extremely difficult. Um, so the, you know, we'll, I said we're going to do like kind of a battery day, um, just to kind of explain more about this and what our plans are. Um, I think probably it's going to make sense to do that after the end of this quarter because I think it's going to be a, kind of an intense end of quarter as it was last quarter. Um, so, you know, tentatively, sort of in the April time frame, we'll do do a battery day uh, and and kind of go through what the um, challenges are, um, you know, how, how do you how do you get from here to I don't know a couple thousand gigawatt hours a year or something? I don't think Elon really answered that guy's question, but he did bring up the problem with battery production. So they can produce more cars than they can batteries, so they need to slow down the cars to keep that up with the battery production. Now I am sure that at some point, as Gigafactory 3's battery process comes online and Gigafactory 4's battery or Giga Berlin and Giga Shanghai 
as those things come online, that's going to get a little bit easier. But the thing that's going to cause some more problems is Model Y is coming out and model, the Cybertruck's coming out. And to a lesser extent, the Tesla Semi and Tesla Roadster at some point will be coming out. I don't know. So even though Giga Shanghai and Giga Berlin are taking the load off of Giga Factory, uh, Giga Nevada, I'm trying. Uh, the new cars that are coming out are going to increase demand for those battery packs. So I don't know if we're getting our Teslas any sooner than we were before, um, simply because the demand for the Model Y is going to be high. The d- Cybertruck demand, I don't know how high that's going to be, but I do know that a lot of the people that I work with and are friends with, they're kind of coming around on it a little bit. And it might be some, especially when they hear $40,000 starting price, you know, it, it might be a sleeper hit for Tesla. And then, of course, I, at some point, I don't know if it was during this clip, I can't remember now, or or somewhere else in the presentation, that one of the reasons that they're holding back on Tesla Semi is it because it takes so many cells to build the battery pack for Tesla Semi. Okay, moving on. Our next clip is the difference between the Model 3 and the Model Y. Hey, guys, thanks for taking my call. Um, I want to talk about the uh, the differences between the Model 3 and the Model Y beyond the, uh, the sort of 10% rule of thumb just around uh, cargo and size. Are there other features that are, that are going to differentiate the two models? And then um, as, a, as a follow-on to that, you've talked in the past about how Model S sales grew uh, with the introduction of Model X. So are you planning on setting up your production facilities to align with that thesis that essentially – Model 3 sales will expand alongside the, uh, the introduction of Model Y? You know, we're not, we're not quite sure what's going to happen, with, but, but it is true that Model X, the introduction of Model X actually increased Model S sales, because um, people would come in and look at the Model X and they like decide, okay, you know, I'd prefer the sedan, and, and uh, we're worried that, that X sales would cause S sales to drop, but they actually caused to increase. Um, so, you know, from, but from our standpoint, I, we're not too worried about demand. We're worried about production, you know, to make sure we get that production ramp going and, and reach volume production as soon as possible with the Model Y. Um, and, uh, it's hard to, to, it's always hard to predict what that, that, that S, the, the, you know, the exponential part of the S curve of, of production. Um, but production pretty much always follows this. S curve, or it's kind of like a herky jerky S curve, um, and you know you can see, easy to predict what it's going to be like in the beginning because it's low, and it's easy to predict what it's going to be like at the end. But that intermediate portion, of the S curve, is very difficult to predict. So that's and it involves a massive amount of hard work and um, and, and just reacting fast to issues that arise. Um, so you know I think we're we're, we're just you know gonna go as fast as we can with the Model Y and make sure it's a great product. I, I, I think there are some things that will differentiate it, but not um, not some, something we want to talk about in this call. Um, and I think so, you know when, when they do when people do a teardown of the Model Y, I think they'll be impressed about some of the things they see. And, and just to add to that, uh, I think it's important to keep the Model Y launch in context of the next 18 to 24 months. But what we're working on here between Berlin and Shanghai and Fremont is to have three and Y locally produced in all locations. Yeah. And so um, Model 3 is expanding 
as Model Y is expanding, there may be ups and downs of various factories as we get to the journey of having these products on all con on the major continents. Yeah. Also, the rule of thumb of 10%, I, I think you need to see it. When you see the car, you'll realize that it's not just a 10% different car. It, it's, 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 it's not just that there's more change happening, like to the customer's perspective as well. Okay, they didn't really answer the question as far as I'm concerned. And I don't really have much to say other than I really want to see the Model Y. They had this big event and they kind of showed it off. It was in the shadows and they, you know, you've seen them out on the road, but we're not really seeing much of the Model Y. Now, I understand a lot of this is because the Model 3 ramp up and production and all that stuff was a freaking disaster to say the least. However, if we are going to start seeing cars this later this quarter, and then that increases each additional quarter. We need to know more about the car. Like they keep teasing, oh, Model Y is going to be amazing, but we still don't know anything about the car other than it's a derivative of the Model Y or Model Three, and that's that's really the most. That's really most of what we know. It's it's got a third row if you pay for the extra third row. I want to. I want a proper presentation of this car so that we can take a look at it. Sorry, I hit the desk there. In our next clip, they're going to talk about price targets in China. So let's listen to that now. Can you speak to the pricing strategy in light of the China price reductions, as well as the mission to increase EV adoption? Is there a target for gross profit or operating profit on a per vehicle basis that we should be thinking about, or, or how should we really frame that for ourselves? Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're trying to make the cars as affordable as possible as fast as possible um, while maintaining reasonable, while, while still being at least a little bit profitable and growing the company like crazy and having good free cash flow and accumulating our cash balance. Zach, um, anything you want to No, I think that's very fair. Yeah. I mean, uh, our order rate supports the pricing that we have right now. We're working very hard to reduce costs uh, and expand production because, it, it, I mean, we feel from the data it's pretty clear that there's a lot of interest in our products. And so as what we're working on is to increase production, increase availability of the products with time. Mm -hmm. And the price reduction in China is kind of the first step towards this global localization, more accessible price. And we'll continue to work on cost reductions in China as we do in Fremont and grow production. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's really going to probably just have a profound effect on our financials is like is high volume and high margin, obviously. Uh, and that high margin part comes from autonomy. So do people buy the, the full self-driving package or not? And do they buy it worldwide or only in certain places? Um, for example, our autonomy is not as good in China as it is in the U.S., so fewer people, a very small percentage of people buy the FSD package in China. But as we, as we fix that, then we'll see a much higher people, percentage of people buy it. Um, and as we get closer to full self-driving, um, that's just going to become more and more compelling. So that, that, that's, from a financial standpoint, that's the real mind-blowing situation is high volume, high margin because of autonomy. This makes sense, and I'm not sure that a lot of people can afford once they've laid out you know, $45,000 for a car. I don't know if they can afford to spend an extra $7,000 on the vehicle. That's a pretty expensive upgrade. Ultimately, at least in the United States, the market will determine where Tesla sets that price. If they're seeing 
that a ton of people are buying it at $7,000, then they're going to keep it at $7,000. If they notice a huge drop and people aren't buying it because it's too expensive because the economy goes to down or whatever, then there's a good chance the Tesla's going to drop that price. They can change it anytime they want. Once they have the features set, you know, it's, they're basically printing CDs at that point. You know, they got to recover their costs in R&D and the, and the actual producing of the software. But, I mean, they could probably sell it for $2,000 or $3,000 and still be okay. But I think that Tesla wants to probably get as much money as they can out of it. In our next clip, they're going to talk about the powertrain and that's going to go through some of those efficiencies that we talked about earlier. Okay, and then just shorter term, you know, there's significant discussion in the industry around moving to higher voltage on the powertrain, and then, you know, some challenges around the supply chain's preparedness to support that. You know, separate from the battery pack, since we'll, we'll talk about that in a couple of months, can you speak to the areas of focus on powertrain uh, technology-driven uh, cost reduction over the next 12 to 24 months that we should be thinking about? Well, powertrain is pretty damn good. I mean, it's way better than anything else out there by country mile, you know. It's worth noting, for example, that the uh, the Model S has like 100 kilowatt hour pack. The Taycan has 100, you know, like 95 kilowatt hour pack. The Model S uh, is steadily approaching 400 miles range. The Taycan has 200 miles range. So we must be using that energy pretty efficiently, and the powertrain is a big part of that. Um, I would just say that focus is on cost on the powertrain. Um, when we're thinking about technology innovations, it's how do we how do we continue to drive the cost down? Yeah, and and you know that's through voltage is maybe one angle, but there are certainly others that just enable more power density and lower cost. Applied powertrain is like mind blowing, I think. Um, yeah, coming out later this year, end of the year probably. That's our goal: get the applied powertrain out end of the year. And then it's going to be like, this is like alien technology. It's insane. It's all about power. I, I didn't even think we could do, uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I thought it was. No way. Um, this kick-ass engineering team tells us tells all about hardcore engineering. So I don't have a lot to say about that. Elon mentions the Plaid powertrain, which I think will be really cool when it comes out. With this next clip, I want to take you back. If you remember, it wasn't that long ago, that Elon uh, sometimes gave a little bit too much information on the earnings calls. Sometimes, you know, he was a little short and terse. And the calls got, or the, not the call, the questions or the answers, they got awkward. In this next clip, I just want to embrace the awkwardness. So let's take a listen. Just want to follow up on the question on capital raise. So given the cheaper cost of, of capital, and this is a real competitive advantage for others, why wouldn't it make sense to raise capital to either pay down debt or to pursue acquisitions, especially bolt-ons that can help you accelerate capabilities in uh, <laughs> autonomous or battery technology? I mean, if you know of any acquisitions, we'd love to hear about them. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sounds great. Who, who should we acquire? Uh, well, I, I, given the uh, importance of autonomous, I imagine that this is an area that you would want to accelerate if you view it as a as a crucial competitive advantage. We're not aware of any one that we'd want to acquire. And debt, debt pay down? 
Um, polluting the company to pay down debt doesn't sound like a wise move. I mean, I think okay. the, yeah, I think the broader I mean, there's been a couple of versions of this question over the course of the call. I, I think what we're saying more broadly is that as we look forward on the cash generation from the business relative to what our plans are, um, we are not constrained. Yeah, we're, we're going to pay down the debt just you know as time goes by, and we paid down half half a billion dollars worth of debt last quarter. Um, so we'll just keep steadily paying it down, um, and yeah. Uh, so yeah, Maureen. But yeah, I don't think we have anything more to say on that part. And with that, I don't have anything more to say on this podcast. I hope everybody has a wonderful week. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to email me, you can do so at Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. I'm on Twitter, at 918digital. You can follow me there. And then we have a phone number that I can't remember what the phone number is. But I'll make sure to put it in the show notes. So if you want to call and leave a message, I'll put it on the air. And that's it, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope everyone has a wonderful week. I got this out on a Friday. I'm really excited. I hope everybody has a wonderful week, and I will talk to you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.